They say every watch tells a story. Family, moments, lifetimes. With lot terrain, this is a watch that spans generations, not just from where it came from, but for where it will go. Knowing one of these, having one of these, is what? Being a professional, being casual, and being you is all about. From our family to yours, La Terrain. To the Air Raid Attack podcast. It's a Wednesday, November the 17th. If you're listening uh, anytime within the week or in the near future, uh, happy to have you along and uh, wish you all a happy Thanksgiving, which is a, just a week away from tomorrow. But nonetheless, currently, uh, I'm excited to have a special guest coming on to us. It's a special episode, um, and I look forward to having uh, Brenda Tracy, the founder of Set the Expectation. Brenda, welcome to the podcast. How are you this evening? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm doing well. And uh, again, uh, a little technology and a little lack of time time watching, but uh, I'm doing well. And Brenda, um, first things first, kind of a little tell us about yourself, uh, and I know you, you founded the uh, set the expectation. Uh, tell us a little about that and how can listeners get involved uh, with your wonderful uh, organization? Sure. That's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that's a lot. <laughs> Where do I begin? <laughs> um, so I, I am a rape survivor and I came forward with my story in uh, November, 2014. It's been a while ago now, but I was, I was attacked in 1998 by four college football players, two who went to Oregon state. So, you know, 16 years later, I come forward with my story. Um, I kind of just in this very organic kind of way began traveling the country, speaking to football programs, um, started at Nebraska, Baylor, Oklahoma, big programs, small programs, men's teams, women's teams, lots of athletes. I um, work mostly with men. I believe that men are the solution and we can't just talk about them as the problem as it pertains to sexual violence. But I've been welcomed by the um, sports, you know, mainly the college community is where I work mostly, um, but welcomed there, done a lot of work around gender-based violence, founded the Set the Expectation nonprofit and campaign, which is basically a nonprofit where we focus on prevention of um, gender-based violence, sexual assault, domestic violence, that type of thing, and really with a focus on men and engaging and empowering and educating men to get involved as the, as the solution. So, um, is that a good description? <laughs> is that enough? <laughs> I know. I was like, dang, Michael, that was a, Hey, home run. Right <laughs> <there>. no, I, <laughs> I'm uh, trying to, uh, you know, of course, you know, it's a topic that, you know, in, in, in sports, you see it a lot and it's interesting. You brought that up and 
you know, feel free to answer it if, if um, all that. And I'm kind of curious myself, why is it and what is it with the society that we live in um, so much that we always say, and I'm, I'm going to go out my guy, people's like, well, you're trying to be, you know, I'm, just, I'm playing the role because unfortunately um, the man can be a solution. They can obviously fix it um, and help, you know, spread the, the, the word for it, which I'm all about because I believe uh, it's a topic that not a lot of people unfortunately uh discuss they don't uh my personal opinion i'm not speaking for the listeners out there i'm not speaking on the behalf of brenda or anybody from my personal standpoint i just believe that domestic abuse sexual abuse is just it's like water on the bridge we're just gonna brush it on the mat and, and move on but why is it that uh, in feel free to answer is a lot of people think that the man's apology even though if let's i mean obviously we know if man happened to be the the, the um, suspect, if you will, but when it comes to men, how can men be the solution, if you will? And part A and then B is um, the society with the men. Why is it that uh, in, we feel that the men are always the, I don't know the right word, always the, the, the issue, the problem, if you will? Yeah, well, let me, let me tell you first why I believe that men are the solution. Yes, ma'am. Um, <clears throat> so, this, and this is what I do when I'm in a, in a football team room. You know, I have like 120 guys in there. Right. Oh, yes. And a lot of times I'm like the only woman in there. Um, and I and I share my story and I get to the point <clears throat> of the conversation where I say. You know, I'm not here because I think you're the problem. After I've just told them about this horrific gang rape that happened by college football players and how I was, you know, let down by every system that was supposed to protect me. I say to them, I'm not here because I think you're the problem. I'm here because I know that you're the solution. And and then I tell them why. Number one, if women could end sexual violence by ourselves and do all the work and fix it, we would have already done it. We've been trying to do that. We obviously can't. If if it was up to women, this would be fixed. I think any community disproportionately affected by sexual violence, if they could fix it, they would have already done it. It's not happening. Right. So that's that's a fact. The other fact is that about 98 percent of all sexual violence is committed by men. Mm -hmm. Men are committing these crimes against other men and women and children and other humans. So it's is is normally a male perpetrator. The other thing is that it's while most sexual violence is committed by men, most men don't commit sexual violence. So. The statistics vary, but for me, I use a kind of a 90-10 thing where it's like 10% of our male population are committing these crimes, 90% are not. The problem within the 90% is that we have a lot of good guys, right, that aren't doing these things, but they're complicit in their silence. They're complicit in their inaction. And they're saying, I'm a good guy. I don't do this. Why is this my problem? Well, it's your problem because if women alone and communities that are affected the most can't stop it, the 10% aren't going to help. Who does that leave? Mm-hmm. It leaves the 90% of the good men, right? And so I challenge men to decide, like, who are you? Are you part of the 10%? Are you part of the 90%? Are you part of the solution? Are you part of the problem? If you're part of the solution, then what I need you to do is align yourselves with, with women like me, organizations, people doing the work. I need you to get educated. I need you to understand that this is a men's issue. Men need to start holding each other accountable. Men start need to start having conversations. 
Let's talk about language. Let's talk about locker room talk. Let's talk about the constraints of manhood. Let's talk about, um, you know, why as a woman do I live in a different world than men? Why can I not wear my headphones at night and go on a jog? Why am I tasked with making sure that I keep myself safe, right? Why, why, is, why is the onus on me to keep myself safe and to prevent a, an assault from happening to me, but we're not having conversations amongst men where the perpetrators are about not right. offending, right? Absolutely. And, and not only that, but what about, what about like you care about your mom and your sister mm-hmm. and you've placed her, them on a pedestal and you think they deserve safety and respect in this world, but what about the next man's mother and sister? Like you can't just care about your family. What about everybody else? What about everybody else? Like my sons think I deserve safety and respect in this world. But what they really need is for other men to think that because my sons can't be with me all the time. Right. And it's not even about protecting and being bouncers for the women in our lives. It's about creating communities where I don't have to worry about stepping out of my house and being assaulted. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And excuse me. And, you know, it, it, it's sad and you brought it and you nailed the you know the nail on the head if you will or nail in the coffin however uh, people want to word it but you look at it and it's simply you know facts are facts you know it doesn't matter you know i know we live in a pretty decisive you know country or whatever not even politics but you know a lot of people well that's not true well that's true we don't know you know people want to go pity patter but when facts are yeah. facts and I'm not, you know, not going to bring politics into it, but, you know, so you look at the men part of it and obviously, you know, facts are facts. The men are the one majority, you know, sexually assaulting kids, sexually assaulting women, men, doesn't matter. Um, gender, it doesn't, yeah. Doesn't Sexual violence doesn't discriminate. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. we do. But Absolutely. we do. Right. Because that's what you're saying, right? Sexual violence yep. doesn't discriminate. Anybody can be a victim. Yep. Um, but we we discriminate all the time. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we look at it like, you know, the facts are, well, gender, you know, whites do this X amount of percentage, blacks and Hispanics and Italians and so on and so forth. I'm like, we're showing me the facts. Like my dad always said growing up, you know, facts are facts. <laughs> facts yeah. are facts. There's no, well, that's not true. Well, no, it's fact. It, it, it's it's true. But, you know, jokes aside, it's obviously not a joking matter, but you look at it, the men are the ones doing it. You know, is there women out there raping Absolutely. Sexual assaulting. Yes. Do you see it as often? No, not no. really. I mean, in the news here, in the, you know, where I'm at, Oklahoma City, it's the men. The men are doing it. So you look at it and, you know, I know probably my next question may not be enough proof, may not be a good enough question. Uh, I know for some probably like, well, you know, that doesn't mean nothing. But I'm kind of curious. Uh, you look at it like we look at it um, growing up, you know, and I grew up a pastor's kid. Uh, do I live the life uh, growing up? I did. And of course, and the fun began. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, we're not perfect. But jokes aside, <clears throat> is it when you look at the people that, you know, could it be an issue to where there's a lot of social media? And I know just had a previous guest come on. We were talking about expectations and when it comes to sexual assaulting, and I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter who is doing it. Is it a growing, growing up issue? Is it a lack of parents uh, investing in their, in their, let's just say sons for that matter? Uh, or can we kind of point fingers at, well, 
you know, social media showing women in these kind of uh, pictures and bikinis and so on and so forth. And, you know, MTV, you know, we all know what, what cable network can do and so on and so forth. And what, what, I didn't even say what attracts, because that just sounds really disturbing. Um, what is it that we can do um, from my standpoint, um, from everybody else's, from the listeners out there that has kids and so on and so forth, what's this, or has sons, what's the standpoint that obviously you, you want to raise them right, but after, like my dad says, after 18, I can't control, unfortunately, what you do and don't do. What is it that we're missing from parents, from a parent standpoint that might help down the road help those people do it? Or is it just one of these things that's just what their driven mission is? I know well, I, I, yeah, and I'm not I'm not an expert on offenders right, right. by any means. And so I, I don't know the inner workings of the of the brain of all offenders. But right. I do think that there's uh, different issues we could address. Obviously, I think that we have to in this day and age, especially talk about porn mm-hmm. um, and what and how that relates to healthy relationships, to consent and to all that stuff. Right. Because I think a lot of our uh, kids are starting to look at porn around the age of 10. And, you know, if you look at the research on it, it does, it does change things in their, in their minds and, and it, and it changes boundaries and, and what they think sex is and what consensual sex is and, and what a healthy, healthy relationships are and that kind of thing. So I think we do have to address that. But then the other thing too, is just manhood in general, I think we need to address, right? I think that we socialize our, our boys in our girls very differently. And so there's a lot of constraints that are placed on our boys, right? Like really we, we raise a lot of our boys to not be anything like a girl and not to be anything gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times what that leaves you with is boys are allowed to show anger as an emotion, but not vulnerability. Don't cry. Don't process your emotions. Um, we are told, you know, boys are told, you know, to, to be conquerors, right? Like how many women can you sleep with? And it's all about how many women you can get and, and, you know, no, doesn't mean no and keep trying and, you know, all these things. So there's a lot of stuff, the way we socialize our young men that we need to talk about too. Right. Um, so I think that that's, I think that's a factor as well. And a lot of times it's a very divisive conversation because people want to, you know, when we use words like toxic masculinity and that kind of thing, and people, you know, get upset. But masculinity in itself is not bad, but if it harms another person, then that's when it becomes toxic and that's when it becomes harmful. There's nothing wrong with being a man, um, but it's what, what are the behaviors? How are you processing your emotions? How do you view women, right? Do you view women as objects, things to conquer, things to dominate? Again, things, right? Are, are we bodies? Are, are we humans? Are we peers? Are we equals? Um, what are we? And what are your views about sex too? Um, sexual assault is about power. It's mm-hmm. about control. It's about humiliation. It's about degradation. And when I talk to, you know, teams, I, I talk to people all the time before we can abuse another human, we first have to dehumanize that. So if, if our young men, are referring to women as sluts and hoes and this and that, they've already dehumanized this person. And that gives them permission to then abuse them and gives them um, permission to excuse another person for abusing them because we've dehumanized that person. We've, we've taken away their value and their worth 
And so they're not worthy of safety and respect and those other kinds of things. So there's a lot of things we have to address um, for sure. But I, I think that uh, issues of manhood are important, issues of consent, healthy relationships. I don't think we talk about that enough. I think if I think if everybody knew what a healthy relationship was, mm-hmm. they would know what an unhealthy relationship was. You know, Brendan, that's so true. Um, you look at it and first off, you know, I applaud, um, you know, your campaign set the, set the expectation, I think, and I follow along and I'm, you know, getting more involved with, um, it's the, uh, organization called fight the new drug and practically it's yes. Yes. Um, you know, I know who those, I know who they are. I, I really admire them. It's a, and if you listen to that there, uh, it's a non-religious, non-legislative and anti-shame, uh, nonprofit, uh, organization that's raising awareness on the course of the harmful effects of porn and exploitation. And, you know, and it's, it's sad that, you know, I know listening out there that you may be, you know, and I'll be honest and, you know, and I appreciate Brenda's honesty and I'll be honest, you know, I was addicted to porn for quite a while. Um, I'm 33. I don't remember how old I was when I was in the eighth grade, but that tells you, yeah. that tells yeah. you, it wasn't until my freshman year at, uh, Kentucky Christian University, a small town in Grayson, Kentucky, for anybody that doesn't know, um, in 2007, uh, graduated high school in 06. So it, I've been around, but, you know, <clears throat> and, and I applaud, you know, FTND for short, but is, and I like how they always, and I try to share on Twitter as much as possible when I'm on, but, and you know, and we don't know what the expectations are because, you know, and I agree with what they're saying as well as you look at porn, porn, is practically not really brainwashing, but in a way it, it is because you look at uh, porn and not to bring it all up, but it sets the expectations to what we think, um, well, they're doing it. So it must be normal, so to speak. It will, right, they're, right. Uh, they're not saying no. So it, I'm going to tell my wife or girlfriend or spouse or whatever the situation is that they're not saying no and you're not going to say no. It, it, it completely ruins love first of all completely ruins relationships um not just within your wife husband but you know friends uh, even just a view on women because i mean yeah honest and and i'm sure it has a lot to take but you know if i happen to look down the road if i'm at you know i don't care where i'm at let's just say downtown oklahoma city i'm just throwing it but here comes this you know woman now you're thinking, oh, well, I just got done watching the porn about two hours ago and blah, 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 blah. It, it, it's unfortunately, it ruins all kinds of, it just ruins your life in general. It's not just for listening out there. If you're addicted, you know, my DMs open. I'll be glad to help you out, give you some resource. I'm going to, I don't know. I'm not a professional. I'm going to send you to fight the new drug or anywhere else that say, hey, they got better resources because I, I'm just going to send you somewhere. But um, but I can tell you, hey, it's not good for you. It's not fun. Um, well, and especially when we're a child, you're a child, exactly. right? And children, children are, are watching this stuff. I def- I had a, um, I was at a kind of a, it was like a college showcase of, of college athletes that were pro hopefuls. And um, I had a group of men, I did a, what we call a breakout session. And we kind of did just a deep dive on like false reports and some other, some other topics. And at the end, I had a group of men that were standing around. We were talking and um, I asked them three questions. The first one I asked them was from your time in college. And they'd all been there for four or five years. What did you get from the consent training that you went through? 
And they all said, no means no. And I said, okay, um, has anyone ever talked to you about what a healthy relationship is? No. When did you first start watching porn? All of them said about 10 or 12 years old. And then I thought, and then we wonder why we have a problem, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's not, consent is not just no means no, right? It's gotta be yes. It's gotta be enthusiastic. It's not the fact that we don't know what a healthy relationship is. We don't know what a healthy sexual relationship is. And that we're watching porn, which is not real life. And a lot of it is violent. And a lot of it is, is sexual assault that's happening on there. Um, From a, from the age of 10 or 12, your brain's not even developed. I mean, of course we have issues in our society if that's what we're doing. Absolutely. You know, it's sad uh, that we, you know, that we, we start, like you said, we, it's practically 10, it's practically 11 years old. It's, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, it, it, it's it's sad, and then we get so used to it, and then mm-hmm. desensitized. So, exactly, and, and normalized. Yeah, normal. yeah. And like uh, people talk, well, what's the new? You know, we always. It's what bugs me the most, and I'm not just saying it because you're on here, but it's always. I've always thought this. We look at it like COVID, for example. You know, I know it's a touchy subject. It's not real. It's real. I don't care. It. We're not here to discuss if it's real or not real. I don't care. Um. We talk about the new normal. Well, if the new yeah. normal was COVID, why can't we have a new normal to where porn's completely off the internet? Why can't we have a new normal that we we can better equip um, younger, you know, kids, um, preferably middle school, but if it gets that elementary age, hey, go for it. But why can't we start young with kids, like men, you know, and and so on and so forth? The men out here, you know, they they might have cheated on their wives, which I don't condone, but you know. They might have cheated on their wives. Life happens and and they need help. But now all of a sudden, oh, he's a heathen. Now we toss him to the curb, so to speak. And I just wish that we, instead of, and I get COVID's you know, a serious matter, but instead of the new normal with COVID, why can't we just have a new normal to where we can continue to be who we are, but better equip our guys? And I just think it's a topic and, and a issue that just, a lot of people ignore because I think a lot of people are so used to it. It's like you said, it's normal. Yeah. Well, and the way and in the way that we continue to perpetuate violent cultures where violence happens is by normalizing things. So when we see just like words like child prostitute, yep. that's not a thing. That's not that that's not a thing. <laughs> a child cannot be a prostitute. Exactly. Um, you, you cannot have sex with a minor. Right. That's rape. That's that's sexual assault. That's not a thing. But we see these words and these headlines. Um, and what it does is it softens the act and it and it makes it like normal and it's OK. Right. Sex with a minor mm. makes it sound like it's not really that bad uh, versus raped a child. Right. Yep. So and, and, that, and that's the way we continue to perpetuate, you know, cultures that that violence continues to happen. Um, I will say though, you know, as far as like men's health and that kind of thing, I've been really, um, happy to see more athletes stepping forward, talking about their mental health, um, their personal stories, that kind of thing. And I, and I hear a lot of personal stories when I go into rooms, I, I hear from a lot of men who are survivors, um, because they exist too. Um, like we said before, sexual violence doesn't discriminate. Um, I think it's one in six boys will be sexually abused before they're 18. Um, but there's obviously a lot of stigma around talking about it. 
Um, so I think that I've, I've been happy to see more men stepping forward um, in the public space to say like, I'm not okay. And having people rally around them. And I think when one man does that, he gives permission to another man to be able to also share who he is and what he's gone through and what he needs. So I've, I've been happy to see that lately. I like that. And you know, I was actually going to uh, ask you that when you go to these universities or maybe high schools or wherever you're going, um, you know, to sports team, not so much football, but maybe basketball, cross country, mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. matter the sport. What's the reaction that you get? Is it overwhelming? Once, once you release your story, what, what's the reaction? And obviously, it sounds like it's, it's a good one. Obviously, then it sounds like it's more of a intervention, if you will, type of thing or, or an opening door for maybe Mary Jo or Mary Sue or, or John Doe or who, um, what have you. What's the reaction? Um, the first impression. And then once, once the, like they always say, the, the cat's out and, you know, the, well, you know, the, you let the cat out of the box and so on and so forth is a reaction. And obviously the reaction is really good. What's the first, what's the most common fucking right. There we go. What's the most common response that you get from these college athletes? Um, once let's just say the, the, the meetings over. Oh, it's overwhelmingly positive. Um, the, the, the 90% of the men in the room that I talk about that, you know, identify as the solution and all that good guys. Um, they definitely show up. And so a lot of times I have just a line of men waiting to thank me, give me a hug, um, take a photo with me. And I get a lot of how can I help? What can I do? How can I get involved? Um, I want, I want to be part of the organization. I want to do my part, that kind of thing. So it's overwhelmingly positive. I think by the time I leave, these young men realize like, it's not enough that I don't commit sexual violence. What am I doing to prevent it? How am I part of a community that makes sure that perpetrators are not comfortable here? Right. Because perpetrators hunt where they're safe. Mm -hmm. Perpetrators hunt where they can get away with it. People like Larry Nasser do not happen in a vacuum. He had a whole community of people that enabled him to rack up 500 plus victims. So how do we create communities where people like Larry Nasser are not comfortable and are not only that, but are held accountable and survivors are believed the first time they come forward? Right. There's so many times we hear these stories, um, the wrestlers from Ohio State um, who are all men. Um, I think USC had a doctor. There's all, all kinds of stories all across the country where you hear about the 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 third survivor, the step forward, the fourth survivor step forward. And then there's hundreds after. And you're like, wow, what if we had believed the first and second survivor that reported? Then we could have not had all these other dozens of survivors after so the response is overwhelmingly positive and i think that is is eye-opening i i hear a lot of that like wow you really opened my eyes to something bigger than me right like something different <laughs> a world Absolutely. a world i had not thought of because i'm a man right and i just mm-hmm. go through the world as a man and i don't realize that women don't live in the same world as men do absolutely and out of, I know, you know, kind of not <clears throat> continue with the thing is when you're out on the road, um, let's say, for example, I know there's 52 weeks out of the year. 
how often, mm-hmm. how, how, how many weeks are you on the road uh, spreading this uh, organization out to across the country? Well, well, prior to COVID and, right. and, the, and the shutdown, I was probably close to the upwards of 300 days a year on the road. So it was a lot um, for sure. 250 um, since COVID, however, um, I've decided to kind of not travel as much. I think during COVID, I realized that I didn't understand how much the work was kind of wearing on my spirit and my soul. Yes, ma'am. And how sharing my story and my trauma over and over and over was becoming its own trauma. And so I've really had to kind of revisit this idea of self-care and what does that look like? And how can I do this work and also take care of myself? Because this is this is a lot of emotional labor for me. And I don't I benefit some from sharing my story. But at some point, I've shared it enough that it's not really a benefit to me. It's a benefit to the people I work with. And so how do I take care of myself when I just am completely pouring out my cup <laughs> over and over and over? Right. Um, and some of that, you know, I get filled back up by the people in the room. Right. When, when people come up to me and and thank me and, you know, I hear survivor stories and I hear I see people getting involved and I, and I see the ripple effect of my work. Um, that does fill me back up. So I, I, I get benefit from it too, but it's, it's definitely um, a labor of love and passion for sure. And I'm glad, you know, I should say I'm glad it sounds really bad, but it's interesting you brought that up. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, I even didn't think of until you brought that up. When you share your story over and over, and, and I know you're obviously using it to, to stop and prevent it from happening to other people and, and getting yeah. that word out. To you personally, how mentally exhausting knowing that I know you're repeating yourself, but not I don't want to get into any detail. I'm not going that route. Um, obviously yeah. keep it short. But does the does the the um PTSD, so to speak, does all the does the does it replay in your mind that from the from the day that yeah. it took place? Yeah, and that's one of the things that, that's one of the things I talk to people about trauma. Mm-hmm. is if you under if you understand trauma then you understand that there's not really for like normal memories and things that happen in our lives if we have like a file cabinet things kind of go mm-hmm. in its place right and trauma does isn't part of the normal file right. cabinet. <laughs> it doesn't have like a normal place where it just kind of disappears and you forget about it and it goes away like it, it it changes you um it changes everything about you and so i i can i i revisit that trauma And it feels the same every time. Um, I think when I first started sharing my story, I thought, oh, this will get easier. I'll I'll do it a couple more times. I won't cry. I won't feel it viscerally. Um, You know, I'll get I'll I'll get stronger and better at this. It'll get easier. And it it never has. Um, I I can feel myself reentering that apartment, describing what happened to me. I can it's almost like I can touch, see, feel, smell everything. And so it really is reliving it. And I've had to work really hard. You know, when I share my story, I think about my feet a lot, like, okay, you're on your feet are on this stage mm-hmm. you're not in this apartment. This is where you are. You're recounting this. You're, you're going to leave this apartment. You're fine. You're okay. You're safe. Right. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's really hard. And not only that, but I'm, I'm literally getting up on a stage. I'm talking about a gang rape 
that I endured, I was in and out of consciousness for six hours, um, is brutal. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It, it feels shameful. It's, and I'm, and I'm sharing the, the worst moment of my life with a bunch of strangers. Right. So there's a lot of anxiety and fear, like getting up on that stage and, and being that vulnerable and saying the things that I say. Um, it's, I, I feel like I step off a cliff almost every time I do it. So it's terrifying. Um, but I do it and you know, it's, it, it works. And, and I've seen a lot of good, you know, feedback and, and, and the work I'm doing is, is, is good. And so, you know, I keep doing it, but, I, but again, it's, I don't recommend it for other people. I certainly don't. I, I definitely think God has given me the grace and the strength to do what I do um, without that supernatural healing and power from, from God. I don't, I don't think I could. Um, so I, I definitely don't recommend it to anybody else, but it's, it's what I have chosen for myself. Totally understandable. And, and you know, and people don't realize, I'm sure, excuse me, I'm sure just from your standpoint and people, I think we look on the outside, I was like, yeah, she's telling the story, which is, you know, obviously nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, I think we fail to acknowledge, you know, yes, Brenda's telling her story. She's spreading the word. Hey, here's, you know, ways that we can uh, end this. Here's way we can prevent this. Here's way of X, Y, and Z. But then at the same time, we look at it and be like, we don't consider how mentally exhausting I'm sure it is. How yeah. know, does it replay back in our mind? And then we get, you know, PTSD and, and so on and so forth. We always fail to acknowledge that. I hope she's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It, it does. We, we always feel that it's like Brenda's telling the story. Cool. Cool. Well, that was really interesting. I'm really involved. And then we just move on with the life and we don't realize, you know, takes guts, which, you know, obviously to, to continue to, um, you know, te- you know, practically tell your story re- over and over and over. And, I think at times we obviously, you know, I do at times from not so much from you, but maybe, you know, from other TED talks I've watched or any other thing. We always think that was interesting. We always think we never think of the actual victim and right. Right. Okay. But when then, you know, and I apply, I'm sure it is mentally, unfortunately, mentally exhausting. And, and well, for, well, for you, just for you, think of the, the very, the most, the worst moment in your life, the most, disruptive, hurtful, harmful moment of your life that you don't want to tell anyone it's, it's, it feels shameful. It feels horrible. You don't want to speak about it. You don't want to think about it. And then now tell me that story in detail. Oh, my. <laughs> in, a, in a room full of strangers. Oh boy. Obviously, you know, I would... <laughs> that's how it is, right? <laughs> Times a hundred. <laughs> you know, there's unfortunately, you know, I grew up pastors cannot. Not saying I, I did a very well job living it, but you know, there's there's definitely stories. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, I know as you can't compare sexual assault to my grandfather's death. And but no, and, and you're right though. I mean, and there's other stories. No, but it's that kind of a thing, exactly, right? It's like right, exactly like bearing your soul, mm-hmm. like being so vulnerable in front of a bunch of strangers about something that you you don't want to talk about, you don't want to deal with, you don't want to face. You, you it, it feels horrible it's you know so yeah so that's kind of what it's like well absolutely i mean i know my stories and i can and it's i like how you ask that question it's like you know not so much put you in my street but just 
tell your story in front of 120 roughly football players, 150 if you include probably coaching staff, or it doesn't matter where you're at. You can be at, you know, here in Oklahoma City. Hey, I want to put you in the middle of Oklahoma City. I'm going to get you 18,000 people at the Paycom Center and you on your own, buddy. You're going to tell yeah. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> I'm like, am I going to do what? <laughs> and, and so, Go inspire all those people exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and get them buddy. and get them to want to change their lives. <laughs> go, go do it. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is, you know, and, and it's, and it's fun and with, it's, we laugh and we, you know, I imagine myself now I'm visually seeing myself with the stories I'm telling like, Okay. And, but you know, what's funny, you know, funny, but what's sad is, and it, it kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier is porn, you know, pornography, people don't realize, you know, porn will lead you to doing things. You, like you said, you look back, oh, damn, I, I shouldn't have done that. And yeah, you got a lot of regret. And so porn does a lot of harm more than, you know, it doesn't do any good. Let's put that out there for the begin with doesn't do any good. Um, and I don't remember what pastor I was listening to, but he, he did a series on, on, on sex and marriage and relationships. And, you know, he practically said, you know, in my own terms, I'm, I don't want to, I can't remember exactly how he quoted it, but put it in layman's terms is, Hey, you watched porn felt good for roughly what, three minutes. And now you're back to being whatever kind of mood you're in. It does. It just doesn't fill a void. And, but you know, and it's, and it's, it's sad because a lot of people use that and, it, and porn affects not just relationship, but you know, it leads to men cheating on wives. It leads to so many other things. I can only, I probably don't want to know, but only could imagine what else it may leads to. But, you know, and at the end of the day, we, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a sad, but unfortunately it's the biggest i think addiction that a lot of people have and it's just a tough one to battle yeah and we do need to, we do need to talk about it more and the effects on our communities and our our, our mental health and our lives i wish we, we and i'm not any type of an expert right on the subject but i'm glad that there's organizations out there that are doing the work absolutely and, and all the listeners out there um i can give you two uh, just because I know them, not personally, but I do know them because I'm trying to work with the podcast. And just my personal, I'm not worried about the podcast. Just me personally, uh, fight the knee drug is the biggest one I'm really into. And then covenant eyes is a good way if you want to uh, block uh, any porn site, anything that is going to, that's going to be harmful porn. It literally filters a lot out. And so, um, can't prompt, you know, it, you go, I don't get nothing off of it. I just want you guys to take care of yourself. But, you know, that's a few, few resources, if I can talk right, a few resources that's out there. And I know, you know, definitely at the conclusion of this uh, in the podcast description, I'll definitely get the set the expectation uh, link up and feel free to uh, really get involved if thing. And, <clears throat> but uh, going back, Brendan, when it comes to, sexual assault for women what what's the bet if there is such a thing what's the best advice uh for an you know for a horrible situation for a woman that she just got sexually assaulted and what's the best advice that from another survivor to another survivor from survivor to survivor that you give women that's been sexually assaulted well i think there's 
kind of two sides to this. I think that there one is I want survivors to be able to go talk to someone. Right. But I need the people in their lives to understand how to respond to them. So I think I want to start there first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when a survivor comes to you, number one, we're coming to you because we think we can trust you. Um, and, and if someone discloses to you that they've been sexually assaulted, number one, you have to understand you must be very special to that person. Um, they must think a lot of you because we don't tell a lot of people what's happened to us. So they're disclosing to you. And what we need to do is tell the survivor, I believe you, you did nothing wrong. I'm here for you. I'm sorry that happened to you. You didn't deserve that. And just being a person that can say like, I'm going to be here to support you, whatever it is you decide that you want to do, I want to be here to support you. So if that's helping to find resources, if, if it's not, whatever the survivor wants, because the most important thing we have to understand for survivors is that again, sexual assault and rape are about power and control. And the survivor needs to have power and control about how they move forward. So whether that power and control involves them reporting or not reporting, we have to be okay with that. And I'm not talking about children, I'm talking about adults. Um, Whether that is, I wanna go through a Title IX process at school, I wanna go to the police, I I wanna reach out for counseling, I don't wanna do anything. Whatever that survivor needs in that in that moment in their journey, we need to be there to be supportive and 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 let them know that they're not alone and that we believe them and support them. So that's really the most important thing, I think, for those of us around the survivor. Um, and then I think for the survivor, I think for me, I just tell a lot of survivors the same thing. Like it's it's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. There's nothing you can do to make another person decide to use their body to violate yours. Um, it is never the victim's fault uh, that that person decided to do that. And um, that, you know, they're not alone, that it's okay to reach out for help. There are organizations, there are groups, there are people that will believe you, support you, be there for you. And that this is trauma and you're, you're at some point, you're going to have to deal with it. It's going to, it's going to affect your life and you're going to have to figure out how to, how to deal with it and how to navigate it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we look at it and it's sad and, you know, I don't know, I'm sure if I do, I doesn't cross my memory at the moment, but I don't know anybody personally that's been sexually assaulted, but oh, you do. They just haven't told you. Oh, absolutely. I promise I'm you sure. do. Well, I, I'm they just you. haven't told yeah. you. <laughs> we all, rightfully so. I mean, the the truth is, we yeah. all know someone who has been sexually assaulted. <clears throat> they just have not told us. Absolutely. Yeah. And you look at you look at uh, COVID twenty twenty. Forget COVID, just twenty twenty in general. It was a tough one for everybody from any kind of aspect of life for me. And I know you can't compare, but for my thing, my dad being in a major stroke, nearly passing away. um, You know, you couldn't see him for the two or three weeks. He was in the hospital. We all had certain um, things happen in our life during that 2020, what seemed to be the longest year of our lives. But in in this aspect, particularly, it's scary because it's, you know, with all the restrictions that came out, with all the, the the six foot rule, the mask rule, the you know whatever you know, don't touch, don't hug, don't do whatever, whatever we could potentially, because nobody knew what COVID was about at the time. But for some, for a woman, and I always aim for women, but they're the majority. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, they're the majority of the victim. 
for the woman that's in the physical, um, sexual, you know, re- um, domestic uh, relationship, if you will, what was what are ways, and even currently, I know in a lot of cities there's still shutdowns and so on and so forth. What are be- I know there's hand signals that's now being spread the word on TikToks and the Instagrams and a lot of other social media. I know I haven't seen a person on Twitter yet, but hopefully we can get that out there. But what are ways for women in particular to somehow let someone know, um, Hey, I need out because you can't see, but my, my face is, is behind a mask or I can't get close to you now because it's a six foot rule, so on and so forth. Uh, what are certain ways to, that they can try to give us hints like, Hey, I need help. Or can you help me type of way? Um, I, I think there's different, you know, programs, um, and, and it depends on the cities, but I know there was some safe haven stuff that was going on across the country where there was like certain like signage on restaurants and stores and um, hairstylists. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes victims, the only time they're alone is, is at the hairstylist. Um, different programs like that, that survivors have been made aware of. I know that I, I do remember recall seeing something about a hand sign, like on a Zoom call type thing. Cause the truth of the matter is, is a lot of survivors were, were trapped at home with their abusers. Correct. And so we also didn't have children going to school. So a lot of reports about child abuse went down because we have to have our children in schools and that kind of thing. So I, I think one of the things that um, the organization called no more does as well is just also getting all of us to pay attention more right to our surroundings and to the, to people around us and, if you hear something, you know, call for help, that kind of thing. If you live in an apartment building, stuff like that. So there's, there's, there's different things that it, it all varies. And I wish I could say like, there's one thing, but there's not, I know that, um, at one point there was a way to call for food delivery that mm-hmm. tipped people off that kind of thing. Um, but I, I think some of it is just really being aware of who's in our circles and are we checking in on each other? Um, are we checking in on our neighbors? Are we aware of what's going on in our building or at our job or whoever's on the Zoom call? You know, that kind of thing. Checking in with people, I think, is important. I like that. And, you know, I think we forget. I know a lot of times, and that especially last year, and it's still going on this year. I mean, especially in you know cities that's in countries that's still on lockdowns and curfews and so on and so forth but ways to get out i'm sure we're tougher you know and and listeners out there you know any way out obviously get the help get you know whatever you can run you know get the help necessary obviously get out first of all you look at this as a scenario and i know well i can I just interrupt? Absolutely. Sorry. No, you're good. I, I think, yeah, yeah. I think we have to be careful when we say just, you know, just get out. I think when we talk about domestic violence situations, the point in time when the survivor tries to leave the situation is the most dangerous time for them. And so the fatality rate skyrockets. So it's, it's, it's important for um, our survivors to, to know where to go. Um, but a lot of times there's kind of a planning thing that happens to for survivors so that they have a plan of how to get out, where to go, um, where they're going to be. But this is also why it's really important for all of our communities and everyone in our country to be helping fund these agencies that are doing the work with survivors. They need money. 
so that we can help with safety planning. We can ha- help with people leaving and that kind of thing. Um, because that is the most dangerous time for a survivor is when they decide to leave. You know, that's a good point. I definitely, you know, I know, uh, definitely didn't think about that is, that is a dangerous time. And, and I know, you know, here in Oklahoma you know, city, I think a few weeks ago was a, uh, Similar situation. Don't know the whole, you know, behind the scenes, but I do know that the 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 husband ran from the police. Um, unfortunately, the woman was in a domestic abuse relationship. I don't know the degree of it, but at the end of the day, you know, he shot her, then turned the gun on himself and, and into his life as well. And you know, and oftentimes not. And and you may obviously, you know, I'm definitely not a. Uh, a professional on any of the the topics and you know i want people i think you know i don't want people to think that bren you know brenda is as well but it's a subject that um needs to be discussed more and why and you may not know the answer and that's perfectly fine because i it, it's probably one of my other why questions and in life we just don't know why at times and i think god does that just because that's where our, the trust and the faith comes into play that he knows the reasoning and at the end of the day, we know that he's in control. And why is it in some situations, maybe like the one that I mentioned a few moments ago, that even if the police was there that they, because they knew what the situation was or what have you, why is it that oftentimes that we see relationships like this one that is a domestic uh, abuse of some sort uh, turns violent and then the fatality is there because x y and z why is it we always get the um i shouldn't say why that sounds horrible but what why is it that i don't know why i keep saying but anyway the reason behind the the men is it a certain thing like i, I guess that's what i'm kind of kind of still confused on trying to get my my mind wrapped around it is the man i hear why are we just let's say for example you know he's you know he shoots his wife it's always the victim and then he turned a gun is it a control thing that he doesn't want no other guy to have her or Obviously, we don't know what goes through their minds. Any reasoning behind potentially why men are, you know, the, tr- the women are trying to get out, they turn the gun, you know, they kill their wives or girlfriends doesn't, or whoever it is, how, however they are related to them, if I can talk right, and then turn the gun. Is it a control issue or we just really just don't have an answer for that? Oh, no, I, I think there's people that do work on the mindset of perpetrators um, and abusers. I'm not the expert on that. I'm more of a person who works with bystanders mm-hmm. um, and then also survivors and the dynamics of that kind of thing. Um, but there's definitely, you know, what I do know of perpetrators and abusers is, is definitely con- there's control, domination. Um, grooming that goes on. A lot of times people ask, you know, why didn't she leave? Right. Well, this stuff doesn't happen on the first date, right? (laughs) Right? Like you don't go on a first date with an abuser and he hits you and then you're like, oh, I should leave. Right. This is all very, there's a grooming process that goes on. Um, You know, they move the goalposts. It's it's a little thing. And and then they they move it a little further and it's more and it's more and it's more um, until this person realizes the victim realizes, you know, I'm now, taking responsibility for, for his behavior. And this is my fault. And I, they've been brainwashed and now there's, you know, financial abuse going on. Right. So this person has no access to money. Um, they are, you know, their entire lives are being controlled. Maybe now they've been isolated from their family, their friends. Um, there's, you know, physical threats of violence against them if they leave. So 
all of these things is about power and control on, on the, on the perpetrator's side. I don't know the exact inner workings of them, but I know that the dynamics of the abuse, oftentimes society does not understand. And we place all this burden on the victim. Why didn't she leave? Mm. Um, why didn't she know? Why didn't she whatever? Right. And it's kind of like, why are we placing all that on the victim? Why aren't we holding the perpetrator accountable? Why are we saying, what does she do to make him do that? And why are we saying, why didn't he leave? Why didn't he stop? Why didn't he get help? You know, and that's, and that's a good point. And I think that's as a, as a system, I think that's where it needs to be fixed. And getting the right resources, you know, it's a broken system that needs fixed, so to speak. And, you know, it's, I just think we live, I think our biggest, and I know it's just my, you know, just not really rambling, but just a thought that with so much social media impact and with so much just everything of how everything seems to be nowadays, I just really think we're so like we mentioned earlier, it's so normal to everybody that really it's just like, oh, another victim, oh, another whatever, that we just, you know, we just act like it's well, it's victim blame is victim blaming is what it comes yeah. back to. And it's disproportionately happens uh with victims of sexual violence, domestic violence. We also see a lot of victim blaming with people who are victims of uh police murder, police brutality. Um, you know we're always diving into if someone is murdered by the police, what was their history, right? Were they a drug dealer? Were they this, were they resisting? Were they doing that? Whatever. Um, so it, but we don't see it in other situations, right? We don't blame someone who got carjacked. Why did you get carjacked? Where were you driving your car? What were you doing? We don't blame home invasion victims, right? Did you have your windows open? Was your door unlocked? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But we want to bring up the the character and the in the history of people who are sexually assaulted, um, victims of domestic violence and and victims of police brutality. And so the victim blaming part of it, though, you know, if we blame the if we blame the victim, then no one has to do anything as a society. We don't have to hold anyone accountable. We don't have to create any laws. We don't have to create any programs. We don't have to create policy. We don't have to do anything, nothing. Because if that person hadn't done what they'd done, it wouldn't have happened to them. And the problem with that is that it's not the victim's fault. Again, it's the perpetrator's issue, right? But if we just victim blame, we, ha- we don't have to do anything. And we just keep on going about our lives and the, and the violence will continue to happen and nothing will change because we blamed the victim. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's sad. I think it's just, it's one of the, it really gets, drives me, not really insane, but it just irritates me because it's a big topic. It's a big issue that really just nobody talks about. It's just, oh, we're whatever. And we move on. You know, we see, Right. And and again, that also goes back to victim blaming. Right. Because what happens is then if I behave a certain way, this won't happen to me. And that's the fault. That's the falsehood. That's the myth. The myth is Mm -hmm. if I am this exact type of person, I dress this way. I act this way. I hang out with these people. I do ABC. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. And that's not true. Anyone can be the victim of domestic violence or sexual violence, a, a, a very, you know, the, 
people say things like, oh, well, you know, she's educated or this or that. She wouldn't be in that situation. Oh, anyone can find themselves in this mm-hmm. situation. Um, and anyone can be sexually assaulted. It, it, it does not, again, sexual violence does not discriminate. So the, the fault, but the falsehood is if I, if I am a certain way and I am a certain person, this is not going to happen to me. And it happened to that person because they did that, but I'm not going to do that. So it's not going to happen to me. Absolutely. And that's a dangerous, dangerous myth. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest, you know, and, and everything. Well, you know, the, the tornado is not going to hit me. So I'm good. We, you know, that's a bad analogy. I probably should have went that route, but we just play. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me type of thing. And in reality, anything and everything can happen to anyone at any given second. I mean, you know, you can go out here and unfortunately there could be whatever taking place. And yeah. well, we, if you take your even if you take your porn example, right, someone could be watching porn and be like, no, I'm a casual viewer. I'll, I'll never go down that rabbit hole like other people. And then pretty soon you find yourself down the rabbit hole. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a hard. You didn't intend you didn't intend to do it. <laughs> you didn't think it would happen to you, but it did. And, you know, and sadly, it, it's a tough, tough addiction to break because you get the urge of whatever. You, you got to go to to porn. You're stressed at work. You got to take your really your probably unexpected quote unquote restroom break. You go, it doesn't matter. Go to your car for less. I don't care what it is. And people are glad we got literally nowadays we have a computer on our hand. It's a cell phone. And there's so much technology that you can literally just do whatever you really want, unfortunately, with it. And I, you know, if need be, someone can. You know, I'm not going to, but if I want to, like, oh, I'm going to go check whatever sites are out there. And it's so acce- accessible now. It, it's just literally you get caught and you want the urge of more and more and more. I want more. I want more. And at the end of the day, it's just, it's going to hurt you in the end. And unfortunately, you're going to lose a lot more than you expected. Yeah. And I, th- and I think, you know, if we just speak in terms of humanity, I wish that more of us would extend others compassion and empathy um, because that's what we would want from people, right? If we found ourselves in a position that we didn't think we would find ourselves in um, and we, we thought it couldn't happen to us, but, but if it does, you want people to extend compassion and empathy to you. And I wish that we would, we would think about that and extend it to others. Absolutely. And I know our time is uh, winding down Real quick, the last few moments, um, Brenda, I appreciate your time. Ways for listeners out there to get involved. I know I'm going to definitely look in more into set the expectation, get more more involved on uh, within the organization as well, and and also help promote on the on the uh, podcast. And uh, for the exception of the podcast, for just people out there listening, what are ways that people can get involved? Uh, with set the expectation and and just in ways in general. Yeah, um, I would just ask you to go to setthexpectation.org. That's our website. Um, it, it talks about the the story of us and how we got started and how I got started. There's ways to get involved. You can go on there and look at our champions program, which is our pro athletes doing good out in the world, um, different events, just kind of who we are and what we do. If you just kind of go there and click around, You'll find all kinds of good stuff. And then you can also find where to follow us um, on social media. And then my personal social media accounts 
or uh, Brenda Tracy 24 on Twitter and Instagram. There you have it, folks. Um, all that information uh, will be within the uh, description of the podcast once it's released. Miss Tracy, um, thank you for coming on, sharing your um, story. And, you know, I definitely learned a lot and, you know, I, I applaud you and I, I continue going to be praying for you and, and continue to get that message across. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on. You're welcome. Any plans real quick for Thanksgiving? Oh, I just plan to just be at home and eat and watch football. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Food and football. Food, family, football. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> hey, that's the American. I know we're, I know this podcast is listening across the world, but that's the American tradition. I think that's one of the best ones. And, but happy Thanksgiving. I know we're a week away, but happy Thanksgiving, Brenda. And uh, thank you. You too. Again, thank you for coming on and, and stay safe out there. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Brenda Tracy set the expectation, the founder. And uh, you've been listening to the Area Attack podcast. The episode will be dropped here soon, uh, later on this week. But nonetheless,